Good evening and welcome to another episode of A Contagious Smiles Unstoppable. Forgive the noise in the background. Michael's rolling on in. Hi, babe. Howdy, y'all. So we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about a subject that, unfortunately, I wish none of us ever had to experience, but a lot of us have. And that's domestic violence. And I'm even going to do something that's kind of abnormal for me. I'm going to allow my husband to ask me some questions as well. Um, I've been advocating for survivors because I, I won't accept the word victim for close to 18 years now. And I have done decade and a half, if not longer, of training as well. But I empathize and sympathize because I've been there and I've gone through it, every single thing you could possibly imagine. And I've always said this, so please forgive my repetitiveness, but I don't care if it's one kick, one punch, one hit. It's one too many. It's not a contest. It's not a, well, you got kicked. 10 times, I got kicked 20 times, so you went through it worse. Mine's not that big of a deal. One time is all it takes. That's it. And our website, acontagioussmile.com, if you go under the domestic violence part, you will see there is a comment there that it uh, could be a trigger, just as this show could be. So Prepare yourself ahead of time that this very much could be um, some triggers for some of us. But I even have put up some of my own pictures of what I went through so that you see that you're not alone and that I am very much someone who has been right where you are or have been. So domestic violence is something that absolutely needs to be stopped on so many different levels, including breaking the cycle so that we don't have our children spending their adulthood recovering from their childhood. And I just sprung this on my husband. It's the the way I have to to do some things with him. And um, as y'all all know, he was in law enforcement for a very long time. He also was there for me during this and went to court with me. And he really did help me get through it more than he has any idea. I do have this like, eighth world wonder of what happened in a certain scenario but i am being left in the dark about it and um i guess that's for what he says is my own good but another reason i wanted michael here was to talk about what it's like for a spouse to live with someone that has gone through domestic violence what it's like from your point of view so what is it like, babe? So, how do y'all? Uh, from my point of view, it, it's a little challenging. Uh, you have to have patience. You have to be understanding. And you have to forgive your your partner, your spouse. Um, it's, it's not their fault if they're triggered by some of the things that you do. So, don't, don't be offended. Don't be mad. Don't get upset. Don't get frustrated. Just take your time, have patience, you know, work with them. 
uh, hey, sit down with a babe. Look, you did this when I did this. Or when I said this, I noticed that you became upset, angry, or you withdrew. You you started, uh, you know, downcast your eyes or wh whatever, whatever the case may be. So y'all just be patient with uh, your partner, your spouse, and uh, you, you'll work through it. So one of the things that, that I work through my wife with is my hands around her throat. And to this day, he is the only one who can do it. I, I've had to have operations and procedures done, um, even a block put in before I lost my arm, and they do it in your neck. And they had to take such additional uh, precautions because it was my throat. I couldn't have anybody touching my throat or around my throat, even doctors. And they went above and beyond to make me comfortable. So you can tell them your situation and hopefully they will be as good as my team was. But to this day, Michael's the only one who can literally put his hands around my throat and I don't flip out. And it's not like he's putting it into the mode of choking or strangulation. He might be moving hair off my neck or fixing my shirt at the collar or whatever that might be. And I don't show emotion, but if somebody else did, I immediately get standoffish and it's like a trigger. So I, I do have a question. Okay. You preface this by, you know, some questions. Uh, law enforcement. Okay. I went, let, let's, let's just say, for instance, I went to Mary's house. Okay. I like using Mary for some reason. So I went to Mary's house and as I get there, I see Mary and I see her husband, Joey Bag of Donuts. And I say, Mary, this is the third time this month I've been to your house. I'm going to arrest your husband, Joey Bag of Donuts. Pack your stuff up and get out. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing for you, your children, your dog, your cat, your bird, your fish, whatever pets you may have. So my question from a police officer standpoint is, why don't we leave? Why don't you women leave the man who's beating the shit out of y'all? Well, first of all, again, this is a trigger for a lot of people, and I want to put that out there ahead of time. And I'm just playing the devil's advocate. I'm, I'm not really like this. Well, law enforcement today is much different than it was back then, number one. Number two, the situation is much harder to explain for people who haven't walked in those shoes because, say, for instance, this is what we've come to know. Like, remember how I was when we dated prior to me getting involved with that piece of shit. And I was never cocky, but I was confident. I was an executive in the, in the corporate world and, and I held myself up in a confident manner. But then I became that person that jumped at the smallest sound and knew my surroundings at all times and was very skittish and scared and and completely different. I didn't make eye contact anymore. I didn't let anybody anywhere near me. The thing is, is that we get belittled so badly. It's like every day you tell me you love me. Well, I know that and I believe it. Well, every day you're told you're ugly, you're overweight, you'll never get anybody better than me. This is all you deserve. If you leave, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill our kids, our pets, whatever it may be depending on where you are in that cycle and you don't know any better or you have nowhere to go. And, but, but you said, this is, this is what you know. So what you're saying is this is, this is your, your staple. This is your life. 
you've is, become addicted to it. You know. Well, this is what you know of. I mean, you learn your predator's patterns and you do everything you can to avoid them. But even if you do everything spot on to the quote unquote requirements, then if somebody cut him off on the way home or he got in a fight with his boss or it could be a she because there are female predators as well. But in my situation, we're talking about a he or I don't want to call him a man. Um, but anything that set him off, I was going to be the punching ground when he walked in the door. No matter what, I could have a spotless house, dinner on the table, food not touching each other. No matter what it was, laundry put away military style, bed made military style. Didn't matter if somebody made him angry. I got the brunt end of it. And that's what it is. There's also extreme isolation. He would just come up and spot check me at my office. I had to call him at certain points to let him know when I was on the way home. And literally, it's like you just are captive in the it's not a home. You're you're like in a larger jail in a way. And I always say it's like being asthmatic and being locked up in a room with people who are heavy smokers and there's no windows or doors to help you breathe. And it's very hard because a lot of time your um, attackers hold everything over your head. They don't allow you, but maybe even an allowance. They hold you over financially. You don't know how you're going to get out. You don't know how you're going to keep safe. You don't know how you're going to survive. You even consider leaving. And that's the most dangerous. And you know that that is the most dangerous time for a woman because that's when everything... I that's when everything escalates like it does. And the one time I did try and leave in the beginning, I lost my puppy because of it. And that to this day, it weighs on me. Okay. So the question was, why don't you leave? So one, one thing you, you, you pointed out, you're in this bubble. This is your whole world. This is all, you know, you don't know anything outside of it. Two, You've been stripped of everything. You, you're let's say you're ignorant. I don't think that's there. a fair adjective okay, to use so on us. You, um, We've been programmed to accept this as our life right. at that point. And then you have the fear factor. Absolutely. Okay, he, of he what's shot, he going to do to right, your family or your, your pets? Your pet, which, right. Which is some, you know, some people's kids. They are our kids. Yes. The, our dogs now are also our kids. So, okay. So continue that. That's one aspect of, of an answer. Right. And if you don't have your, if I want to call it ducks in a row, that's why so many times women go back because they don't have enough finances to survive. They don't have their ducks in a row where they can get out and stay out. And they have to have a, an evacuation plan in a way so that it's in order and they know what they're doing. And when I got mine in order, I definitely, definitely had mine in order and i never went back and it was it's an excruciating thing and you know for the longest time i wouldn't go to the trash can without being you know carrying a gun or knives or both or even to go to the trash can you know or whatever that is because you have this and in every situation is different but abuse is abuse and whether it's verbal physical emotional sexual financial it's a control of manipulative thing. And 
people say, well, it's not really his fault. He had a bad childhood. Okay, well, a lot of people have had bad childhoods. So that's an excuse. That's an excuse that's They're given. Oh, yeah, but that's an excuse that's given them to the predators that is almost like a get out of jail free card. But so many of the women who defend themselves, they're the ones incarcerated these days, which to me, I'm sorry, is bullshit because what are we supposed to do? Just wait for the morgue to get called and, and leave our wishes somewhere. No. And, you know, and, and he made it very clear that he never started the abuse until I was pregnant because he knew I'd fight back. And I made a deal with him. I said, as long as you don't hit my stomach, I won't fight you back because and one of the things that people say all the time is, well, why didn't you just get up and leave in the middle of the night or something? I would be woken up with him straddling me, punching me in the face to go get him some water. So one of the things that you're taught from day one in any kind of martial art training is you de-escalate the situation. You can't de-escalate the situation when it's ongoing. You're like as an officer who responds to a call, you're on high alert, you know, your adrenaline's rushed on my situation, my adrenaline never got to go away because you're always on high alert. You're always wondering the what if, you know, he would hit me in, and if I cried, I'd get hit again. If he hit me with a belt and I cried or whelped, I would get hit again. He trained me to basically take his fist is basically what it boils down to. So to piggyback off, off the last thing that I pointed out was fear and you brought this up. How, in your opinion, how deep do these predators, these monsters dig into your life? How much do they know about you, your family, your friends, your your social life you had before to, to instill that fear to find you if you, like you said, would up and run away? Well, they know your patterns. They know your behaviors. In the very beginning, they are incredibly charismatic. They're incredibly charming. And I, I've always said from day one, you know, my my best friend who passed away, um, when she met him, she looked at me and thought it was a joke because she was like, there is no way you're with this guy. And I was never physically attracted to him. And I made it very clear that I even told him that he wasn't my type. But I loved what he stood for and what he portrayed, even though it was a bunch of crap. Hey, Stucco. Stucco came in here. Um, Stucco came for a visit. Because he wants to see his mama. He's probably giving you that comfort. He wants his mama. He's trying to get to mama. Um, they're very charismatic. And they tell you, they, they find almost like your Achilles heel. And then they play it. Mine was... And I'm sorry, it, I don't want to say anything that hurts you. Mine was I wanted a family and you and you knew that I wanted a family so badly. And he found that card and he he played it. You know, he told me how his family was so big into foster kids and he wanted kids. And and that's all he wanted in life was to have a family. And physically, he was not my type. He was absolutely not my type physically, but they become unbelievably charming. They brag about you to everyone in the beginning. They just make you this amazing part of their life. They put you up on a pedestal. Um, they brag about you to everybody. And then they get their claws in you to try and hurry, hurry, hurry and get you into 
the express lane of a serious relationship where the isolation games can begin. And I didn't live with him until after we were married because of my career and my apartment and things of that nature. But that's how it begins. And then everything changes. So I'm going to go back to my question. Why don't you leave? So now having heard uh, all this testimony from my wife, um, is there is there an escape plan? Yes. Is, is there someone out there that, that can help these survivors, these these current victims? Again, I hate that. I know, but, but if they're still in this situation. They can reach out to us and we can help better prepare. And until that time, I know it sounds so tedious, but when you, as you know, I'm incredibly methodical. I, I hands down, Lee, admit that. Well, hand down, admit yeah. that. Uh-huh. But there are things that you can do around the house because it's definitely not a home. I want the first thing that people realize is that you are not in a relationship with your predator because it is not a husband and wife. Um, it's not boyfriend and girlfriend. It's your attacker and his prisoner. And that is exactly what it is. And even though you might be in denial and, and not want to see it, that's what it is because a marriage, a relationship is something that is between two people who love one another equally that value and respect each other and having someone belittle you, downgrade you, hit you, anything like that is not a relationship. So that makes it quite challenging. But there are things that can be done to help in the interim. For instance, I had um, a metal brush and I kept it in the bathroom and he would control what I wore. He would control my makeup, my hair, everything. And if it wasn't right, I knew what was going to happen. And so literally, I just to save face, you, you give in. And he took the metal brush one day and walked up behind me, got my metal brush off the counter and slammed it across my face and then threw me into the bathtub. And then I was no longer allowed to have a bathroom door because why would you have to shut the door when you are going to the bathroom? Well, it's privacy. That is your time. And even now we have the same mentality that when someone's in the bathroom and the door shut, it's their private time. I've, in, I've instilled that into our daughter because I want her to know when she's in the bathroom that that's Faith's time and nobody needs to be in there unless she's having a situation or an issue, God forbid, and then I'll go in. But that's her private time. And so there are things that you can do. Um, you can start going to the dollar store. And the first question I get asked is, well, how do we do that when they control the finances? Well, that's pretty simple. When you go to the grocery store or Walmart or Target and you purchase something, it's going to show up on the bank account, which is constantly checked as, say, for instance, just for this conversation, $100. Well, then it says, do you want cash back? Well, take out 20 and then it'll just show $120 charge or $124 or $87 or whatever the amount might be. And then slowly do that. And then you're going to start carrying that cash and you're going to hide that cash. But you can slowly start making changes within the house where, for instance, um, you can take like 
a glass that you would keep in the bathroom that's glass for your toothbrushes or to hold Q-tips or something like that and go get a plastic one. Because believe me, that is a whole lot less painful when that's smashed up and it's just going to bounce versus crack open and make you bleed when that's thrown at you. And then you have to get down on your hands and knees and pick it up, especially when you're pregnant. So there's those things. Make sure you keep, if you have stairs in your house, make sure that you keep everything clear and free off the stairs because it's a less likeliness that you will trip if you're trying to get away fast and get upstairs or go downstairs if there's nothing on the steps. So keep that area free and clear. Make sure when this does happen that you are in the safest place possible. Don't be in a kitchen because there's knives in the kitchen. There's pots and pans in the kitchen. There's never really the best place or best room to go into, but try to always keep your kids on the furthest end of the house away from you because if you're getting hit, it's a matter of time before your kids will if they're not already. So you can start doing simpler things. You can, you know, he told everybody I was clumsy. So what I did was I started to pack up my dishes and I got plastic dollar dishes and I would just say, well, I'm clumsy. I don't want to break the china. I don't want to break the dishes. And then guess what? That can't be thrown at my face anymore. There are things that can be done little by little that can almost baby safe you the best way possible. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do to prevent it until we get you out. And there are things that can be done in the interim and make it it's never going to be tolerable, but a little more safe, if you will. And we go through that in depth every single step of the way. And you're not going to get somebody who hasn't been through it. You're going to get someone who has when you reach out through us. And that's uh, at a contagious smile.com. Correct. We, uh, we have, we have a lot of, a lot of things going on on our website, y'all. So please be sure to check it out. Uh, peruse through every tab, uh, every section in there. Uh, there's also section in there for power of attorneys, uh, guardian of item. I have to tell you, not to interrupt you, but one of the last times I was in the hospital and I see you, um, I had completed a living will and I would stress to everyone who is going through it to get one of these done. I do them at a fraction of the cost of what you would pay a law firm to do. And I'm very, very detail oriented in your wants, desires, and requests. So I had completed one and they had given me a less than 2% chance to make it through the night. And he kept saying he wanted to move me to a place where he'd have more control. And they said, no, well, at one point I became very bradycardic and he tried to say, well, I'm the husband. I get to make decision-making rights. And I had already put into play and had my OBGYN had a copy as well as the hospital, my request for a living will. And what he didn't know is that the executor of that will, the executor of the living will was not him. So God forbid I became unconscious or couldn't make any decisions at that point. I already had someone that was, aware of the fact that they would be the chosen one. And it's just really smart. It's it's a smart opportunity. Also, uh, giving a medical power of attorney to someone you trust that if something happens that have your kids 
So they will be kept safe as well. There are things that can be done in the interim that makes the transition a little more tolerable. Uh, getting your TPO, going through the restraining order. I mean, the restraining order, I'm sorry. I believe it's a piece of paper that pisses off your predator. I do. Because the courts now don't do shit to help. And I'm very much against the fact that the whole he said, she said thing is one thing. But I had tapes um, where he would confess, he would brag about it. And I had photographs that coincided with medical reports and documentation. I had sworn affidavits. I had doctor statements. I had doctor letters. Um, I had photographs. I had police reports. And with nine felonies, because of a technicality, he walked and there was nothing that could be done. And that's ridiculous. And so I wanted Faith to know that you just don't quit you fight for who you believe in and for what you believe in. And because I signed an NDA, I have to be very careful with what I say on this part, but I, I took on um, the military all the way up and won. And I took them to court and went all the way up top court and uh, we won and signed an NDA. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But the negligence that is out there and nobody's protecting us is ridiculous and i want to make a change we need to make a change we need to fight not just for ourselves but for our kids i mean think about it you you come home or come back to the house and you get hit well now your kids see this your daughter or son whichever the situation may be is going to say that that's okay for my partner to do because my parents whose job is to prepare me for the next stage of life are, are doing it and the other parent is getting it. So it must be okay. Or it's okay for the one child to administer that type of behavior. Right. So they're training the, uh, they're training. And if not, they're already getting that. And then they go to school and they're a bully or they're being bullied. They have no safe place. They have nowhere safe to go. And that is not okay. It's not okay. Look at your child and imagine walking in and seeing him or her get assaulted. How does that make you feel? You're not protecting them by staying there. There are things that can be done, supervised visitation. There are things that can be done that will protect your children. They are worth fighting for. And I hate the term fight, but that's where I see that that word can be implemented in the sentence is you, you fight tooth and nail. You know, I made it very clear that he was never going to be alone with my child again. And it was my child period. There was no two pugs in a push. Sorry, this is unstoppable. It's unfiltered. But two pugs in a push doesn't make you a dad. And now she's all child. Yes. And from day one, I've always said there would be only one person I would ever, ever, ever let be your dad. And it's this man right here. And they love each other so much. She actually wrote a book, I Am Kitten. I won the lottery. And she wrote I Am Kitten, and it came out on Amazon's bestseller list. It stayed there for a while. Three weeks? Just shy of a month, yeah. yeah. Um, Three weeks, number one? Yeah. And it's all about how she waited this whole time for her dad, and he was worth the wait. And that means so much. So, so guys, gals, whoever you are out there, and... You know your situation. We don't. We, we do hear a lot of situations uh, come across through emails and 
my wife does uh, Zoom meetings with with uh, survivors. Individuals. Listen to what she's telling y'all. Okay, we know this is a huge topic. People don't want to discuss it. We're here trying to discuss it, trying to get the information out there. There is a way out. There is help. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is love out there, all that good, mushy stuff. But you you need my wife's help. Reach out to her. You know, she knows her stuff, y'all. I do want to say one of the hardest things after I left for me, beside watching what Faith had to endure, which broke my heart into a million pieces, was feeling like I'm no longer a woman because so much of how we feel about ourselves is based upon society standards. And I think that's absolute bullshit, but you have to look a certain way. You have to weigh a certain amount you have to carry yourself a certain way. If you have piercings or lots of tattoos, then you're trampy and trashy. And, and who are they to make that decision of what is and what isn't right? Like that's ridiculous. And for the longest time I used to say, you know, I feel like a hollowed out pumpkin because I have been literally scooped out from inside and I felt horrible. And then to have even family members say, you look like Freddy Krueger and the elephant man had a baby together or take a Sharpie and spend the evening um, connecting the dots of your, your scars from one to another. And that's family who say that make it, very, very hard. And you know what? Just because they're blood related doesn't mean that they're family. And my best friend, God bless her, that I still think of every day, really helped me get through it um, tremendously. My husband now was my rock, really and truly my my rock. He was amazing. He went to court with me. Um, you never seen two individuals who had such hatred to one another as these two did. Um and then you you just have to work on it. Like for me, I literally became so scar conscious because one of the things I always tell women is you don't have surgery for something that's not broken unless it's cosmetic. Well, I've had over a hundred surgeries. And if you take those scars, plus the scars that were put on there by him, I literally did feel like I was jackknifed. And then I realized, you know what? They're reminders to me that that's how many times he tried and he failed. And you know who told me that? Faith, our daughter did. She said to me, you are a warrior because look at your battle scars. Look at your, um, what did she call it? My shield of strength. I think I think that's what she called it. She said all of these scars are reminders of how strong you are. And she was still maybe 8 or 9 years old and I looked at her and then I felt like the biggest piece of crap because here I am feeling sorry for myself because I do have a lot of scars from stabbings and surgeries and and things of that nature. But she was right that those are reminders of how many times he failed. And I started putting tattoos on. I didn't have tattoos like this before what happened. And I started putting tattoos on of the journeys that we had gone through and, and succeeded. And it really is amazing. And now I look down and I think 
we weathered that storm. We did it. And you don't have to be alone. You're not alone. You know, I tell people put our podcast on, black out the screen on your phone and listen for inspiration and support. You're not alone at all. And it's so imperative that you know that you realize that because it is you if you go back and think about who you were before you got into the situation with the person who is not that person, then you will realize that we can make you come back and be much better than ever before because that tiny little light that you think is flickering down to nothing can start a wildfire and we can help bring that back to life. And we also have puppies to help along the way. I can't tell you how much stucco has helped me because even when I came home um, from this major, major last surgery, he was only a couple months old and no training, no nothing. And he just made me feel a gazillion times better. And there is, you can't be unhappy when you have one of these gold retrievers around. You can't, I don't care who, well, maybe. He he doesn't leave her side. He sleeps next to me. And when my husband is trying to be all cute and frisky, he will literally push him away. Like, don't touch my mama. It's kind of funny. It is kind of funny. Hilarious. Hilarious. But it is funny because like he's so protective and he's so, but all he is is loving. He pushes you away, but then he gives you kisses. You know, I mean, there's no more loyal, loving, devoted, understanding, sweet, sweet baby than this one right here. I mean, golden retrievers are the best. And I know everybody thinks that about their dogs, but that's why most support dogs are golden retrievers. So speaking of pets, if you do have pets, make preparations for them. Uh, once you have an escape plan uh, that you can execute and, you know, get them, get them babies out of there, you know, get them to somebody whom that monster doesn't know um, and make sure you, you know, you give them uh, maybe a t-shirt from you that has your sin on there so that they, they feel uh, less anxiety separation. But um, yeah, y'all, y'all get with my wife and, and, um, she'll help you out as much and as best she can. And we have we have other uh, survivors that have gone through the same thing or are currently going through. Um, you can hear their stories on some of the uh, prior episodes. Um, and also, we want to do something. We did this once before. We're going to alternate between um, the groups that we do this for. A few months ago, we did where we offered for the special needs communities, which all of us are a part of, um, a puppy. If they wrote in and told us their stories, we would pick one, which was incredibly hard to do. And so that went over amazing. And we do this out of our own pocket. We pay for every single thing out of our own pockets, incredibly expensive. Um, Hey, Stucco, that we are doing this now. We've decided, Michael and I have decided that we are going to donate not one, not two, but three puppies this time to three different families because it was so hard to choose. But we want you to tell us about you and your story or you and your loved one's story. Tell us why you think you should get one of the three puppies or tell us why you want to nominate someone. And we have an email account. So I'm going to spell it out. It's puppy, P 
P-U-P-P-Y, Tales, T-A-L-E-S, at a acontagioussmile.com. Again, puppy tails at a acontagioussmile.com because who doesn't love a puppy and puppy always wags their tails. And we did the tails, T-A-L-E-S, because of the stories that we get from all of you amazing people. So send it in and we're going to read them and hopefully this time we can do the three because one was really, really hard. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Yeah, my husband says it's pollen. Um, any other questions that you might want to say? Because I know this is such a hard topic and so many people have questions and they don't have anywhere to go and ask. No, I, I think that's one of the big ones from, you know, the guy standpoint, uh, for it. Uh, from the guy standpoint or, you know, the police officer standpoint, you know, Mary, why don't you leave this a-hole? So, you know, I guess from the victim's point of view or the survivor's survivor. point of view. You're going to go from a survivor to a thriver. Yes. Is how, how can I escape? How can I get out of this? So those would be the two questions. One of the things I hear a lot, and I really wish family members would really just quiet down because they'll say well you deserve to stay you know why won't you leave um this would never happen to me that's one i heard quite a lot here here's the thing and when i've done speaking engagements this is what i say i love when i have somebody that'll be like oh no no this would never happen to me never and i would say to them okay so is this your daughter yes she's currently in a situation okay well I'm so happy that you have never been in one of these situations and God rearing that you never are. So here's the thing. One in four women in the civilian sector go through some sort of domestic violence in their lifetime. One in three in the military and in law enforcement. Now, that's what's reported. So just take a moment and really think what those numbers would be like if all of them that are transpiring are actually reported. And then I'll say to we'll say Claire, the the mom, I would say, let me ask you something. Since you've never been through this and you don't know what that's like. And again, when this happened, this lady says, no, but I would never, ever let this happen to me. Okay. So I said to her, I said, well, Claire, let me ask you this. If God forbid the day came and you found out that you had a brain tumor, would you go to a podiatrist? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she goes, of course not. And I said, you'd want the best neurosurgeon that your insurance would cover. You want to go to the top-notch neurosurgeon to find out what's going on, right? And of course. And I said, well, let's hope and pray this never happens. But right now, you are the podiatrist and you don't have a clue what is going on. Your daughter is your brain neurologist. So if you want to know how to help, then you go to the person who knows because they're experiencing it. You don't need to even metaphorically kick us while we're down. We couldn't feel any lower than we already do. We don't even feel human. We feel robotic just going in and just living through that. It's not even living. You're just going through the motions. You really are. And there are some times, and, and I'm sure my husband's going to get teary-eyed when I say this, there are some times that you just really wish, at least you know I did, that he would have just knocked me out and it killed me because it was so bad that you really thought, I'm never going to escape this. I'm never. But then I felt my daughter kick me like, hey, 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 uh, uh, I'm here too. But there are times that you are in such disbelief and you, everything you're being told, you start to believe and you just think 
that life is never going to get any better. And you do think he's either going to kill me. I'm, I'm looking at the hands of the person that's going to take my life. Or you sometimes say, you know what, when he's beaten you into the hospital so many times and you hear, well, what did you do to make him mad? Why didn't you just give him what he wanted? You just say, you know what, why didn't you just do it already? I can't, this isn't life. This isn't what you want to live with. And I get it. And I know people judge people for that, but I would be lying if I didn't say I thought that too, because when you are getting hit every single day, that what happens is that's what you begin to know and what you begin to believe. Do not give stucco those. He's already had his vitamins today. Thank you. But you begin to believe that. Good job. See? So I understand completely I am a human being just like you. I understand what it's like to say, is this the life I deserve? Is this the best that's ever going to come for me? No. Think back to before you ever got in a relationship, because in the beginning, it could have been a relationship. Think about who you were then and realize that you can be a million times stronger and better. And you are not alone through this process at all. I agree. I agree. You can come out on top way, way better than, you know, what you started out as. And don't think of that as a monster. Don't look at that and give them that much credit. They are a coward. They are absolute pieces of crap who you can't say that that's a man, a man or woman does not raise their hand to someone in an unwarranted manner. Walk the hell away. If you're that angry walk away. You're probably angry at yourself for whatever it is. And you're taking it out on the person that you absolutely shouldn't be taking it out on, which is anyone other than yourself, because you're unhappy with something within yourself. It's an insecurity problem. It's an insecurity within yourself. You're going to, your attacker is going to say, oh, you're going to cheat on me or you are cheating on me. More than likely, they're the ones who are cheating. Now, in all fairness, I did give my ex absolute carte blanche to go and cheat and people thought why would you do that you know why because he wasn't home beating the shit out of me and i knew when he was in that courting period when he's out there meeting the next one i'm sorry at that point in time i was trying to survive and keep my daughter and i alive and if he's out there just going out and meeting other women he's not hurting them because as you know there are phases and in that phase he is that charismatic mask that he portrayed to us in the very beginning and so i absolutely told him by all means go get someone on the side and that kept him away from me uh what was that word you used car blanche you never get car blanche uh, what, what is that word i don't i'm i'm a dumb redneck just means i give him the go-ahead oh, uh, he could yeah. go out and tap whatever he wanted which is you know a smart tactic you know you know if he's away from you then he's not hurting or beating you or the kids or the pets he came to see me in the icu time and time again all whatever ready to go and said i had to make my appearance so people could say i was here i gotta go meet my girlfriend and he'd leave okay yeah. go and then he would only come at night because the medical staff was less at night and he would come in and say oh you need to take these and he would try to give me drugs and i wouldn't do it and i learned to go to sleep when he wasn't there so i stayed up all night because the one time i tried to pick up the phone and i actually was gonna call my husband 
now, obviously then he wasn't, he took the phone and beat me in the face with it for even contemplating because he was just, you just don't cross those lines and you have to get very, you know, much into the safe zone to keep yourself here. So one thing that my wife did after years later, after she, you know, got out of this situation and began to come out of the shell, so to speak, she wrote down her memoirs of what happened, what transpired. I actually started that when Faith was in the NICU uh, because I was being integrity. I was being, I can have the word there somehow. Help me out. Interrogated? Thank you. I was being interrogated by everyone and their brother, it felt like. But those were more for evidence. No. I started writing this down because Faith was in a medically induced coma. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't stimulate her because it could hurt her after the surgery she had. And so I laid there. I got rattle socks on her. So if she moved, she had little rattle socks on. And I had my hand. She could hold my pinky, but I couldn't rub on her hand or anything. And I started just venting to my computer because I had no one to talk to. I was in a wheelchair. I had no one to talk to. I had no one to scream or yell or whatever at or cry that I knew. And so I just started because they would come in and say, well, who saw him break your nose? What time of day was it? What day was it? You know what? When you're getting your face bashed in, you don't know what time of day it is. You don't know who's standing around you. Right. You don't know any of that stuff. And you know what? I couldn't tell you, but you know what? I own everything that I did. Did I scream at his command? You're damn right. I did. I threw them out and you know what? I owned it. I owned it every step of the way. Because what was I supposed to do? Say to them, hey, you want to come have some milk and cookies? I warned them time and time and time again that this was happening. It even happened in front of them. And they did absolutely nothing, which hinders why I went after in court uh, civilly and won. But again, NDA, I have to not talk about that. But you just feel so helpless. So I started writing her my memoir, and it took me... 10 years. And I had an amazing respiratory therapist of faith say to me, you're doing an injustice not to publish it. And I said, it's not a book I'm writing just to vent and and have some something to put my thoughts to because I'm watching my daughter code every day and have seizures every day in the NICU. And, and it's the scariest thing ever. I'm in a wheelchair. I mean, we have doggies running everywhere. Um, but you just do that. And then I wrote this book and it was probably a year after I wrote it, somebody reached out to me and told me that they came across it and they read it and it saved their life. And that alone was reason enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Stucco brought his ball in here. I think he wants to go play. He probably does want to go play for a little while. Even though it's nighttime. Oh yeah. He, no, last night when I was in there, he was rolling it under the furniture and I had to get up and get it. And then he was all loving because he threw it. He threw it on your side. That's my husband's fault. He's rallying up the doggies. So the name of your book. Who kicked first. We can find it on our website on amazon right now um also if you reach out to me i'm happy to send one uh autographed or whatever as well i will 
love to have other survivors come on and tell their stories. We, number one priority is we keep you confidential. It's safe. I don't use your first name. I don't say where you are geographically. And after we record, if you're not comfortable, to hell with it, I'll throw it away. It's not about that. It's about the empowerment you get from telling your story and hearing it from your own voice out of your own mouth. That's when you really realize that you are a thriver. And when you hear it, it makes such a difference. And like I said, we'll use a different name. We do not use video and it makes such a difference. And maybe just one little thing that you say when we're talking saves someone else's life. And helps them get through what we're going through. It's not an interview. It's like two friends having a conversation, which is how I do our podcasts. And I just want people to know that they are not alone. They don't have to feel alone. I was alone. It sucks. I don't want anybody to go through it like that. And down the road, you can find the love of your life. Like I'm looking at mine right now. And Stucco was named after my husband. Easy, greasy. They don't need to hear that story. Oh, one of them has gas. Great. On that note, <laughs> y'all, please check out our book, Amazon, and uh, and Faith's book. And Faith's I book. am. I was getting there. Kitten, and tell us who you want to nominate or nominate yourself, and send it to Puppy Tales T A L E S. It's Puppy P U P P Y T A L E S at a contagious because we're gonna give away three. Now remember, we do fund this out of our own pockets we do have a gofundme as well um and every dollar goes to these amazing pups to help make sure they get the best care and best training and best nutrients and everything else that they need yes so signing out tonight is victoria myself michael and stucco and rusty and rusty these are upcoming stud Stud is Stucco is a stud. No, upcoming. Oh, they're beautiful. They're both red. So please go on our website, check out everything we do, everything my wife can uh, help you with. Uh, The two books, Who Kicked First and I Am Kitten. Dad's growing up, being proud of it. If you'd like to donate, there's a donate uh, tab in the top right corner, I believe. You're very proud of that book, aren't you? I am. I'm very proud of my daughter. Oh, what's your favorite thing about her? That she's mine. I, I told you I won the dang lottery. You know I'm going to let her hear this. A contagious smile. <laughs> uh, unstoppable justice says goodnight. 